welcome back, welcome back. We never left, but back in the school. This is just a blessing to be back in the school. Just, you know, what God is doing in, in our lives. And, and through SUM, we're looking back to our third year. You know, we always remember the first. I remember last year's first day. We're like, man, we were so excited in what we were singing. And, and guys, let's just keep that same intensity. God is doing it. Amen. So if you guys can come up to the front for worship, come on, y'all know better. Y'all know better. Y'all can stay in your seats, Deanna. Ain't gonna stay in your seats. Come on now. You know better. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. So this first song, uh, you know, we're just going off of rejoicing. It's called Happy Day. Uh, I played it a lot last year when we were cleaning at the end of the day. It's like, happy day, we're going home, you know. But we're singing it today and rejoicing for what God is going to do. Amen? Amen? Amen. Come on. Come on, clap your hands. The greatest day. The greatest day in the show. And death is beating you.
in here with an expectancy. We come up here with an excitement. Come on, band, let's come on. We lift up our voices in this place to worship you, God. Come on, hallelujah, come on, we're not done yet. Just praise him, just praise him. We love you, Lord. You've been so faithful to us. Although some may leave, God, those things may happen in our lives. You are faithful, Lord. And we worship you, Jesus. And oh, happy day, happy day. You wash my sins away. Oh, happy day, happy day. And I'll never be the same. Oh, happy day, happy day. And you wash my sins away. I'll never be the same. Forever I'm changed. Oh yeah. Forever I'm changed. Come on, just declare today that you're changed. That you're not the same. That God is doing such a great work inside of you. His eyes are focused on you right now. Come on. The Lord of hosts, the God Almighty, our King of kings and Lord of lords, he's not done with you yet. He's not done with you yet. And we sing it out, we sing out to the Lord. Have your way. Have your way, God. Have your way, God. Have your way, God. God, we don't shout, we don't sing just because we're in Bible college. It's God because we know better. We know who you are. It's not to prove ourselves in our shouts or in our worship, but to draw closer to you, Jesus. To draw closer to you. Come on, just start speaking in tongues. That's students. We lift up our voice. We praise his name.
you to come up to the front. We're going to come together in one body. Come on, we're going to do warfare as a body. Come on. God is raising up ministers. God is raising up pastors. God is raising up evangelists, prophets, apostles, leaders. Come on, and we lead the way right now. To have a, a huge crowd before we can start praying and asking God for the nation, asking God for this city of Chicago. So kindly, an attitude of prayer. If you're done praying, just make your way up to the front. Make your way up to the front. We're gonna start a line right here. We're just gonna hold hands. If you can start wrapping it up, hold hands. I want you to all hold hands right here in front. Bring it together, everybody. Up Start interceding for families. If you start seeing schools, start interceding for schools. If you start seeing politics, the city, the government, downtown, you start praying for downtown. If you start seeing anything that comes to your mind right now, be led by the Holy Spirit. You break it down any stronghold, you come against it right now in Jesus' name. to his word. But come on right now, if you can see what's happening in the spiritual world, how we're sending forth angels, and how God is breaking it down. Come on. When we prepare the way right now, let's pray for this ministry right here. 
Come on, let's lift up Metro Praise, what God is doing in this house. Come on. Come on, we bless the Lord. Come on. We lift up our leaders. We lift up our pastors, God. That you will strengthen them, Lord. That, God, you will give them wisdom. That, God, you will give them boldness. That, Father, you will give them creativity, God. That, Father, you will push them. Father, you will shoot them forth, Father, in a mighty move and a revival to what you're doing in this city, God. Father, we lift up the life groups in Jesus' name. Father, that they may be life coming through them. Father, may it overflow. May it overflow. May it overflow. Father, we pray for the youth group. Father, we pray for Elevate. That young teens may live holy before you. That they will come and dedicate their lives unto you, O God. Come on, lift up your voice, saints. Lift up your voice. Father, I just lift up the Chicago cohort, Father, the Metro Praise SUM Chicago cohort, God. I pray, God, that not one more would be left behind, oh God. I pray, Lord, that we would be a generation, God, that would that would stand up for holiness, God, that the ministers of the gospel that are in this place right now, God, that we would live holy, that we would fear you, oh God. I pray, Lord, that you would finish the work that you started in us, oh God, that we would finish the race, oh God, that we started, God. I pray that you would search the earth and find us faithful right here, God. Find us faithful, oh God. Oh, Lord, have your way in this Bible college. Have your way in this cohort, oh God. It is yours, Father. We belong to you, God. Are you willing to give it all today? Come on, let's respond to that word. And if there's anything in our hearts that we're holding back from God right now, they may be good things. They may be family. Maybe the pursuit of a career, a job. Maybe a relationship. Maybe your fears, your failures. Come on, does God have your all today? He wants to know, does he have your all? Does he have everything of you?
another word in this place. Go ahead and speak it out. The Lord is moving. The Lord is speaking. I just feel like fire. Like as we hold hands across this place, like there's a pillar of fire in between each one. And as you hold hands, it just ignites the fire. And, and I just feel the Holy Spirit saying, you know, when two or three are gathered, it's a reality. I am there. And he is with us. He is the person of the Holy Spirit, and the person of the Holy Spirit is here. He is present, just like you and I am standing here. He is here. He goes before us. He marks our steps. We don't do anything without him. And if we would just realize the fear of God would just be all over our lives. We wouldn't turn to the left or the right when he tells us to go straight. but they're not God things they're not God called and God wants you to follow him wholeheartedly not wavering to the right or to the left because of your fears sometimes in our fear we think that God may be speaking because we would like to take the easy way out but when we meet with God in his sovereignty and his splendor We are revealed his plan. We are revealed his purpose. Come on. Father, I pray right now that you would guard the hearts, you would guard the minds of every person here. That God, that we would listen to your voice and you alone. You say that your sheep know your voice, God. Father, make it known to us, make it clear to us today. Father, I come against that spirit of confusion in Jesus' name. We bind it and we rebuke it. Leave now. You have no authority in this place. You have no authority in this place. We claim the blood of Jesus. We claim the blood of Jesus. We claim the blood of Jesus over our lives. Just bask right now. Just, just stay. Stay in all God right now. Honestly, I think that God has just more work for us here today. So as we're meditating on the Lord, 
If you have a word, just go ahead and speak. there is a reward for those who are faithful. There is a reward. Dismiss the band. Uh, the guys gonna stand behind the keys, and we're just gonna just continue to hear from God. I just really feel that there's some deep things in us that God is wanting to instill, you know. And and at times we may be motivated, we may be driven by past examples, by past uh, fears and failures. God is doing something new, and it's between you and the Lord. Let him just download that into your spirit today. Let him download it. Father, we thank you, God. We know that you're moving even now. God, I pray that you would just speak into our lives your word, your word over our lives. Speak it now, Lord. We're listening. We're here. We make ourselves available to you, God.
just felt in my spirit when I walked into here, just like that song we used to hear about John the Baptist. I could just hear that sound of revival being birthed in our hearts. That you are here to be that instrument of revival that God is preparing you for a season so that you can go out and change the world. This is your time of preparation. This is the place where you dig deep wells. This is where you learn how to seek God. Because if I never went to Bible college and learned how to seek the Lord in chapels and hear from the Lord in my devotional lives, my life, how would I be able to lead a church? How would I be able to preach overseas? And you see, that's what you're doing today. You're digging that well, that deep hunger and thirst that only God can fill. Come on, say, God, send my brother, send my sister, send me, Lord. to be in the ministry. We have come to seek you, God. We have come to be those, God, that lay down our lives, that count the cost, that go anywhere. We've come to be used by you with the call of a prophet, to be used to prophesy, 
the gifts of administration, God, the gift, God, of a missionary, God, those sent out, God. Lord, we give you the best years of our youth, our, our, our families, the best time, God, of our lives that, that we can have, God, we give to you. We give you our best. We give you our best, God. Use us. Put heaven in our hearts, eternity on our minds, souls in our eyes, the gospel in our hands. Come on, Jesus. Give us territory upon our feet. We proclaim it. Hallelujah. Glory to God. We will go. We will go. Here we are, God. And it starts today for every one of us. We recommit ourselves. Even those who have already committed to this, this is their third year. We recommit ourselves. From my wife and I to every person here, we recommit ourselves to your call. Whatever it takes, whether by life or by death, let Jesus be glorified in me. In your name, in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Can we bless the Lord today? Come on. Amen. Would you grab a seat quickly and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. Uh, come and sit in these rows for me, please. This is what this is what we'll do every week. So good to see everybody here um, and what God is doing. And just thank you for uh, going after God. If, if sometimes I'm in a meeting and can't be here for the worship, I will do my best to be here. But just go after God. Amen. And uh, Nancy has my permission to ask you guys to pray, uh, to get up and intercede, to do what we call rapid fire prayer or ministry. Feel free, Nancy, to take your liberty in that time just as you did and uh, to lead in prayer. I want to talk to you today about counting the cost. It's been something that's been on my heart uh, from the time that Danny and Noah and I were talking in my house uh, the other day after going boating, talking about the cost. It's... Uh, what I talked about Monday, uh, last week, as we got ready for school. And so it's really been on my heart lately to discuss this, and I think I'm going to put some scriptures to this. And just want to remind everybody, when you come to chapel, bring your Bible, bring notes, take them, because that's why you're here. And uh, just something I want to share with you. I felt in my heart to really take some time this uh, year, this whole school year, like how Chancellor has preached out of the book of Mark, and he's still like, what, on chapter 3? <laughs> Amen. He's like been preaching out of it for like three years now or something, like a chapter a year. Um, a lot of you don't have me for classes, and especially now towards graduating. And I'm not saying like it's all about me. That was the whole point of having SUM, that you would learn from other people of uh, 40 classes, you know, maybe 40 different professors you've had. Uh, probably not that many. Some of you had twice, maybe 20 professors, 15. Uh, but a lot of you I haven't been able to even really teach the Bible systematically with, so this is one of my reasons for doing this. And the other reason is, is because uh, we are a cohort, and that means you hear the preaching and teaching during the week from my heart, and our church is quite developed in what they hear from the pulpit. It's not like a big difference. You know, sometimes churches really hold some things back, but we really kind of give it like it's raw. So what I felt for this year when I was praying this week, getting ready for our season of chapels, is that I would preach verse by verse as, as many epistles as I can get to, as the Lord leads, and just share with you these epistles so that these can be instructions to you uh, because they were instructions to the church. And last year we went through Timothy, and this year I'm going to start with 1 Corinthians and just go down the row. 
And because I teach Romans and Galatians, I won't do Romans. So we'll do First and Second Corinthians and then skip over Galatians, Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians. And this may be something that I do for the next 10 years. I don't know. But I, I, I think it's going to be very practical. And then the good thing is whenever we have guest speakers, they'll just come in and, 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 and say their message. And anytime I feel a, a heartfelt word from the Lord, and I'll share it as well. But you'll know that the standard diet will be uh, expository preaching, verse by verse through the epistles, and we can learn and, and receive those words. Amen? Amen. So uh, today I want to start off with a word that's going to encourage us, and it's counting the cost of ministry, Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 25. And as you're there, I just want to give you a brief introduction about why I'm sharing this. You're starting a new school year. And does anybody remember what our word was last year at this time, the new school year? This is your year. How many still believe this is your year? Amen. Do you know that as long as you believe this is your year, it's always going to be your year? And then some tri uh, pastors try to, you know, trick you and say, well, no, this, 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 this is really going to be your year. No, it's whenever you believe it's your year, it is your year. And a way to replace that word with year is season. And that's literally what it meant there when Jesus said, I have come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It is the year, the season of the Lord favoring all people. That's what it meant. The year of Jubilee is now coming upon us. And so I just want to encourage you, this year, as you are considering this to be your year of success, graduation, going to another level, I mean, let's just, I mean, can we just pause here? I was going to get into the message, but just, let's just think about this. Last year, when we said, this is your year, did we predict that Lauren would be married, that there would be Wednesday Bible uh, services and church services with, with uh, Griselda and uh, Berto preaching? Did we predict that uh, Ellie and Leilani would be leading a trip to New Orleans? Did we predict that we would be starting a Wicker Park campus? And did we predict that uh, some of you would come on the, the staff of the church, that the adopt-a-block would grow the way it would if Royal Rangers would come, and that the evangelism ministry, how many festivals did you hit this year, this summer? About seven. Did we predict any of those things, that, that Adam was going to be the youth pastor? Did we have that in our heart when we said this is our year? And I don't think I skipped any SGM student. Uh, the Vitalis being a part of the Wicker Park. Uh, Deanna, did you think this would be your, your year to be a part of a church plant that would excite you and, re and rejuvenate you? My friends, did God keep his word? Okay, so yes, he did. So we're now looking for this year to be another great year of the Lord's favor. Amen? But as I feel looking back on last year, the toughest thing we went through in the year of the Lord's favor was people counting the cost. Now, they teach you this in, in you know, Bible college, in, in, in the uh, uh, preaching class. Um, why did I just forget the word? Homiletics, thank you. <laughs> All right, thank you, Lord. You know, just forgetting that in college is not good. But why? Wh what do they teach you in homiletics class about, you know, congregational style preaching as we do here, being sensitive to the audience? Here's an example. When, when uh, you know, people are coming in late to the event, do you then preach to the entire congregation about those coming late? No, because there's about 100, 200 people there that came on time. If you start preaching about being on time, you're now whipping the wrong people. Are, are you getting what I'm saying? How about this one? Uh, and, I, and I was actually guilty of this in my earlier years. Let's say it's like a Mother's Day service, and the building is kind of empty because people went out and did things that day with their mom. Do you rebuke the people who showed up that Sunday? 
No, but you, but but sometimes you have the tendency as a preacher to want to do that. You know, you know the people you know who don't show up or backslidden. They're this, this, and this. You know, and they should have been here. And then like the people who showed up are thinking to themselves, "Hey." Dude, I'm here. Like, treat me with respect. Love me. Give me a good word. I, I didn't show up to Mother's Day service to be rebuked for the people who didn't show up. Are you guys tracking with me? Now, understanding that, I know that those of you who are here today are committed, and I don't want to browbeat you with the Bible for those last year who were not committed. I don't want you to feel even that I'm ridiculing those last year. Because every year there are people who walk away from the call. Are you guys tracking with me? So it's not about individuals last year. So we're not talking, so don't think about individuals. And don't think that I'm now saying to you that, you know, let's talk about how people quit on God and all these things. And then you guys begin to question yourselves. No, because you survived last year, you're here. You didn't have to come back. Are you guys with me? We could have started SUM with Nancy and I looking at some blank, uh, you know, some empty classrooms, right? But this is the point of why I want to share this message on commitment is because every year you are tested in commitment. You'll never get to the point where ministry doesn't cost you something. You have to pay a price for ministry. So I want to share with you guys this year, keep it in your heart to commit to ministry, not to quit. So this message isn't for those who quit last year. They've already quit. It's for those this year that will be tested and will consider quitting. This message is for us. It's for me. It's for everybody. If you haven't ever considered quitting ministry or trying to get out of the pressures of ministry, you have not been in ministry, okay? And I love what Brother Anthony said. He said it's not really quitting unless you don't come back. So he knows the pastor on Mondays, you know, the pastor on Monday says to his wife, honey, I'm done with this church. I'm never going back. Sunday was terrible. The offering was bad. Honey, it's, I'm never coming back, you know? And then what does he do? He shows up to Wednesday midweek Bible study. See, he didn't quit. You know, he came back because we all have those feelings, you know? We all feel that way. Sometimes in Bible college, you may feel that way and say, oh, you know, after a final, I'll never do that again. Man, I don't know if this is for me. There's too much study in here. There's too much demanded of my life. It's okay. The Bible says the disciples felt this way. Even David felt this way, cried out, you know, God, I don't even feel like doing this anymore. You know, I've cleansed my hands. I lived holy, and yet my enemies are still prevailing against me. Where are you? These were the cries of David. Does God understand the cries of a fisherman who betrays him and denies him and goes back to fishing? Absolutely. And that's why in the Gospels, Jesus never went after the rich man. He never goes back after the people who mocked him and goes, ta-da, I raised from the dead. But who does Jesus go see? He goes and sees Peter, who went back to fishing. Why does Jesus give Peter that extra push? Why does he give him that extra attention? Because he knew that Peter really down deep inside didn't want to quit. He just knew Peter got discouraged. You understand? And sometimes discouragement leads to us quitting, and that's why you need somebody to encourage you, give you encouragement. Are you all tracking with me? So uh, that's what I want to share with you guys today is committing to the call and committing to Jesus. 
And even though Nancy and I are the leaders here, and yes, you are committing to us because we don't commit to a logo, we don't commit to a building, we commit to people. So when you say I'm a part of SUM Chicago, does that mean you're a part of SUM the building? No, you're a part of our lives. We're the cohort directors, the community of people you're with. You're committing to one another, right? But even despite that, who's the one you're really committing to? It's Jesus. And does Jesus call us to commit to things and places? Yes, he does it all of the time. He asked his disciples to commit to locations. He asked them to commit to each other. And sometimes it's not always easy. Sometimes I looked at my own dad and I said, Dad, why did you leave Chicago? I hate Fort Wayne. It is so terrible here. My dad said, I left Chicago so that you wouldn't be brought up on the south side in a bad neighborhood. And I said, I'll show you, I'll make this a bad neighborhood. And I started sneaking out of my house, breaking into the cars, spray painting the tunnels, setting the soccer fields on fire, spray painting the basketball courts, and skateboarding in the pools in the winter. Yes, we had pools and all the, all the stuff that he left Chicago to have in the suburbs in this neighborhood association, we vandalized and tore down. Literally set a soccer field, the, the goalposts and the things on fire with gasoline. Broke into cars. My dad, and I don't say this to be gross, ladies, but just to show you how even to this day it still happens, lives in a, a wonderful neighborhood, somebody spray painted male genitalia on my dad's garage door. And I couldn't help but kind of snicker a little bit because I said, that's something I would have done. See, they just took it to another level. We would have put it on the tunnels, but here now these kids, they take it to another, they got to outdo us now. You know, and, and so you can just see somebody going by the garage and going, Mommy, what is, what is that? It's sick, I know, but you know what I'm saying, that those of us who weren't born saved can relate to that. Amen? The rest of you who are perfect and were born saved, just pray for us. And, and so my, my point in saying this is, is, is that when my dad chose to do that, that's, that's what I had to do. And when God calls us to be a part of churches, we don't always like what we're called to. We don't always like where we're serving. We don't always like what it gives or uh, what, it, what it requires of us. When I was in SUM, I didn't always like that they required me to do things. And before you guys get the choice of doing 30 minutes of exercise, you know, a couple times a week, I was a part of the elite team as this was being developed among an elite group of us that was told to jog four days a week at five in the morning. Okay, now you can just look at me and just tell I am not a jogger. Even though I was 40, 50 pounds lighter back then, you would still look at me and say, this guy's not a jogger. You know, you look at joggers, they're usually like little toothpicks or little skinny guys. You know, they're usually people who like, you know, like uh, have little ponytails or eat nat like natural food. Like that's what I think of a jogger, you know, like little weirdies, you know, like these little weirdies. No, I'm kidding, but I could name people from our Sunday congregation like this, but I won't. And jogging is good. It keeps you in safe. And if you're a jogger, you're okay. You know what I'm saying? We still love you. But, you know, you look at a jogger. Does a jogger's face ever look like he's having fun? I mean, jogging itself is a, is, is a road sign to tell you not to do it, you know? You look at somebody's face. You know, it's like, dude, I don't want to do what you're doing. I mean, even lifting weights, you know, somebody looks, oh, I'm a bad man, but you know, you know, or they're on the thing, you know, the stairs. But you look at a jogger just drooling on themselves, sweating all over the place. You're just like, you jogging makes me never, ever, ever to want to jog. That's okay, so that's my, you understand, I hate jogging if you didn't get that. 
and I had to jog four days a week from the Bible college to the levee, and then we would pray on the way back. I mean, I hated it. Five in the morning. Jesus is not even up at five in the morning. He said, Gabriel, you take over for now. I'm going to go get some rest. I mean, who is up? Who legitimately gets up in the morning at five in the morning? Now, those type of people are a whole other group of people, you know? Those are just weirdies to me as well. You know, they're the ones that like that little cup of coffee in the morning. They're so brisk and fresh, you know, 9 a.m. It's like they're you're just getting like right into the groove of things. Like, dude, I am now just waking up. You know what I'm saying? 12.30, I am just getting started. But, you know, the payback for the weirdies is, for like to get up early, is check them out around 7 to 8 o'clock at night. You know what I'm saying? They are checked out. They're done. Because you've gotten up at 5 o'clock, dude. You know what I'm saying? But I don't think there's any of you like that. But if there is, we love you. We love joggers. And we love people who get up in the morning. But I hate getting up early in the morning, and I hate jogging. If you want to torture me, if you want to torture me, oh, uh, how about this? Humidity, New Orleans, right? I hate the heat. Without being by a beach, who wants 90-degree weather with like 100% humidity? That is what it's like right now in, in New Orleans. So if you want to torture me, this is all you have to do is bring me to New Orleans at 5 o'clock in the morning and have me jog for about a good half hour. And that's exactly what Chancellor said God told him that we were supposed to do. That's what, and then, you know, Chancellor, you guys have met him a little bit. It, it's not even like you can kind of discuss that with him, you know. Like, Chancellor, I mean, did God, no, it, God said it to him. This was as clear of a word that God said it, that God created the heavens and the earth. I mean, you cannot question this. God told us to jog, and that's what we had to do. And I remember going into Juan Gonzalez's room. Some of you guys know Pastor Juan, leading a cohort. And, and, and there's, there's, there's stories of me always dragging him out of bed, and that's I always tell those stories. And then he tells stories of him dragging me out of bed, and then we kind of contradict each other and we say which one is right. Let me tell you, both of us are right because we didn't want to get our little sorry fannies out of bed. Never. Because who wants to get up at 5 in the morning? You don't. Somebody has to literally drag you out. And literally, it would be Juan coming to my bed some days going, come on, man, let's go. And he would just kind of slap me on the face. And then, you know, kind of be like a masculine, like, come on, man, let's go. And then me, I would be like laying next to him, like stroking his cheek, putting my hand through his hair. Oh, come on, man. Come on, you get all upset. I mean, how do you, how do you even tell Chancellor, I hate what God told you to tell me to do? That doesn't even cross our minds. We're not going to go tell Chancellor, I hate this. Please, next time you're praying, tell the Lord what he told you to tell it that is torture to us. No, we got up and jogged. We got up at 5 o'clock in the morning, and that's what we did. And you may think to yourself, there is no way in God's green earth God has told our pastors to ask me to clean after church. And yes, he did. He told us to tell you that. You are to clean this church right after church. And then you might say to you, you get no more laughing now. You know, oh, man, there ain't no way God said that. Yes, well, listen, you might say, oh, there's no way that God told my pastor that I need to be a part of the, uh, you know, the Saturday ab adopt a block. Yes, 
God told us. He, he spoke to us as clear as clear can be. You know, tell Lauren she needs to get up in the morning and work with the children there. Whatever practicum we want to place you in, you have to trust us. You have to commit to that. And at the end of the day, you have to say amen. We will follow our leaders just as we would follow our parents and just as we would follow our bosses, right? I mean, when it comes to the work, the boss says to do it. You have a choice. Do it or don't have a job, right? And so today, we're committed to a church and we're committed to a Bible college. And the beautiful thing is now in Chicago, there is other colleges and other churches, you know, coming along with us now. Other cohorts, rather. City Lights, Faith World. And they're going to be all going through the same thing that you're going through. Pastor Gabe, starting off with his in Wisconsin. And you guys already have seen Pastor um, Adam Sikorsky in Urbana. You guys aren't alone. And I'm sure if you started a private blog, private, not public, but a private blog of the crazy things our pastors ask us to do, you guys would see things from all around the country. That would be crazy. And then every now and then, us SUM graduates would come in there and just type in a little something, something. I remember just being in uh, San Francisco for the cohort uh, leadership meeting. Uh, we were all there as cohort advisors and visionary leaders, the pastors. And the uh, chancellor was speaking to us all and sharing the vision. And Pastor Hank Mariner, you know, he has a cohort as well. God bless him. You know, he just has a pastor's heart. He just loves people. He came up, up up at the end, and he wrapped his arm around Chancellor, and he said, now we need to pray for the man of God. We need to bless him, and we need to bless his family. He carries a big vision, and we were just sitting there. I mean, kind of like tears coming down my eyes like I was just feeling for you know Chancellor and just feeling what he was saying. And then he goes, you know, Chancellor has never asked us to do anything crazy. He's only just asked us to serve the Lord. And I could hear a little, <coughs> you know, in the back. And it was way in the back. And it was like Juan and Crystal laughing. And then when we had a chance to talk with among ourselves and even to Chancellor later on that week, we were like, Chancellor, oh, hold on. Let me tell you about some of the crazy stuff you asked us to do. And, and let me tell you one of them. Okay, so our building was a building like this, very old. Everything grows in New Orleans. Everything grows bigger and crazier out there because it's like a climate of growth, okay? So there was like this massive uh, like vineage, weeds, all of our building. The whole entire size. Has anybody ever seen a building where they allow that vine thing to grow? Isn't that just yucky? It's like, what's wrong with you? You just want to slap somebody, take their keys from them, and say, you don't even deserve this building. Letting it grow like a jungle here. What is wrong with you? So here's the crazy thing. Pick the weeds. L no, literally, look, the building, Pastor, is all, no, pick the whole building full of weeds. Get them all off the building. I'm literally, I'm with Brother T, and, and Brother T was just an African-American gentleman that served in the military, had got his master's and was a chaplain and just loved the Lord. And he's like, you're going to pick the whole building, brother. And I'm like, the whole, he's like, brother, you're going to pick the whole building. And I'm like, Brother T, there ain't, you had to talk like Brother T when you spoke to Brother T. And I'm like, Brother T, there ain't no way one person, any of us, we got to climb up. There's so many. And then I said, Brother T, it looks like there's poison ivy here. Oh, brother, there ain't no poison ivy here. You're going to pick the whole building. I don't care if you get poison ivy because there ain't none up in there. And I go, Brother T, listen to me. I'm not an outdoorsman, nor am I a guy who goes out a lot. But I can tell you some of this stuff looks really sketchy. It don't look right. 
Can I get some gloves? Brother, you don't need no gloves. Pick these weeds. And I'm being serious. He was a drill sergeant. He would be the one that would leave me for my practicums when I wouldn't come on time. One time, literally, I watched the van drive away. I was watching it. I was waving. He drove away. And then I came back. He said, brother, you better be on time. We leave on time. And that's how I used to talk. And I love Brother T. So four or five hours later, you know, just huge amounts of garbage in bags, just unbelievable. Started to itch. Oh, yeah. And guess what? It was the beginning of Thanksgiving break. And later that day, I was going to be taking a 16-hour drive home. So this was my last Christian service before I go home. And so guess what I had the joy of doing for 16 hours in a car? I had poison oak and poison ivy over my entire body. By the time I showed up to Fort Wayne, Indiana, they said, let me tell you some of the things that you did wrong. You should have never touched this type of a vine and that. I was like, I touched all of that vine. And then he said, the second thing you should have had was gloves on because then you wouldn't have been able to spread it so much. And I said, I asked for gloves, but they weren't going to give me any. And then he says, you should have stopped and stopped, stopped scratching. I said, I had no choice. And he said, if you had to scratch, you should have gone to a Walgreens and got the thing. I said, I was driving home at 3 in the morning from New Orleans. I couldn't stop. You see, I can testify that Chancellor asked us to do crazy things. Crazy things. I was in another situation. I was asked to help remodel a building. See, when you guys look at the SUM dorms, it's bottom floor, middle floor, the classrooms, and then the top floor. Well, the whole top floor was vacant, tore up, dude. They wanted us to remodel and make girls' dorms. And Brother T, once again, Brother Anthony, you got to love Brother Anthony. I can't imitate his voice, but Brother Anthony would just point at stuff. And he would just be like, Brother, I want you to paint this. I want you to caulk this in. And then I want you to fix this. And I would look at them, and I would go, Dude, I don't even know how to paint. I don't even know how to paint and then I would have to go ask my brothers what it's caulking I, I mean literally I promise you I promise you I have brothers that will testify one especially uh, they will testify that I literally just walked up to him and I go dude I will hand you whatever you need me to hand you but I cannot do this they would ask people that didn't even have the ability to do the thing to go ahead and try to do the thing are you all listening to me I could keep you here with stories all like that. I mean, jogging at 5 in the morning. Who asked a Bible college student to do that? Don't they know we, didn't, we went to bed at 4 in the morning? And yet we had to do it. So this idea of I will only do what my pastors ask me to do, that makes sense. It's not part of the deal. It's not part of the deal. Here's where you know you can draw the line and not listen to your pastor. When he asks you to hurt yourself or hurt somebody else, when he asks you to sin, to violate the scripture, or when he asks you to do something out of false doctrine, like let's go all bow down to Buddha now, and you can say no. Other than that, welcome to our world. Welcome to SUM. And I like to say it like this. There's, I like to say like this. Welcome to the SUM rodeo. And there's only two, two types of, of things in the rodeo. There's the one doing the writing, and there was the one getting rid, ridden, okay? Which one do you think you are? 
<laughs> There's only two things in the rodeo, the one doing the riding and the one getting rode, and you are not the one riding right now. I can tell you something. You may feel the spurs. The Bible says spur one another on. Yeah, you may feel the spur in there, and sometimes you guys are like wild stallions. You know, you know what I'm saying? You know, and then sometimes you meet some letter like Chris and just, We get to saddle up. You know, Chris has always been a good one to saddle up. You guys, everybody should be more like Chris, you know. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Others like Jared can be a little rabid at times. You know. <laughs> I'm seeing a picture of some strung out horse, all hair messed up, <laughs> crooked eyes, buck teeth. <laughs> but Jared, I love you, man. I'm just teasing you, man. You know what I'm saying? Some cr cr <laughs> crazy. Some crazy horse. <laughs> oh, praise the Lord. You know what I'm saying, guys? How many of you know what I'm talking about? And so sometimes you just feel like life's a rodeo, and that's okay. We've all been there. You have no, many, you have no idea how many times I cleaned the church van. I, I mean, that was one of my Christian services for that last part of my year every single week. And by the way, one of you is going to be volunteering for that as well because it gets dirty. Had to clean that church van from top to bottom. And there's a big van. Vacuum clean the inside. Spray down the windows. You guys track. It's hot in there. No air conditioning. You got to get in the back and clean the things sweating. I cannot tell you how many times I had to do that. But God was getting glory. And I remember one time that we were uh, called to a, an event, Convoy of Hope, and there was, um, you know, about two or 3,000 people that we were going to be reaching. It was in the Fisher Projects, and there was about 200, 300 people that had come down to help out. And I remember SUM was in charge of the setup and the teardown. And, uh, you know, all these people came and the churches came, and, you know, they just love handing out the food, you know, to all those people, you know, and it's got those southern accents, God bless you. God loves you. you. Want some corn cob and you want some hot dogs and you know they just love doing it. But guess what? There was an entire mess that the people had left, and there was only about a dozen to twenty of us SUM students. And then Chancellor said, "You guys are going to clean this." And man, I'll tell you what—you could start to hear us being bitter. We were starting to complain. You could hear the little murmuring. You know, you would see two guys carrying, you know, a big table or sound system, and you'd, you could hear the complaining, and, and, you know, I was kind of complaining. And then one of the older SUM students said, brothers, don't complain. We get the greatest job because the Bible says the greatest among us will be the servant of all. One of the older SUM students said, he said, anybody could have came and did those things, but it takes people with a special heart to do these things. I'm telling you, that's how we were brought up, guys. That's where SUM came from. It came from a heart that will go out and serve. We'll go to the projects. We'll set up the tent. Do you know that by the time I had worked so much with the tent ministry, it could fit about 120 people under there? Do you know that I could set up that tent only with one other person, and it would normally take eight to ten men to set it up? You'd have to put down about 20, 20 poles. You'd have to nail down two, uh, two uh, 
spikes for each pole. You'd have to do it up, crank up the middle. But by the time that was done, me and a few brothers could go out and set up that tent at any time because we had gotten so good at doing tent ministry. They also had a truck that the side would go down and we could set up our speakers. We would drive that truck anywhere. I wish we had that truck right now. Boop, 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 boop. I'm telling you, man, I would just crank it down right in front of places because normally they don't care. You know what I'm saying? So we'd be like in the middle of seriously like the hood and just crank it down right in front of the drug house. What's that? You know? Like right now, if I could do it, I'd just bring it to Wicker Park, you know, just park right there. Boop, 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 and just start preaching. And I remember Glenn, by the way, Glenn was always like, do we have a permit? That's how Glenn was, by the way, if you don't know Glenn. See, some of y'all don't know the real Glenn. See, hey, man, I want, because he could drive, and I could, because you had to be 25 or older to drive the thing to be on the insurance. And then I'd be like, Glenn, listen to me, man. Drive this truck on top of this yard, cross this driveway, and put it in the back of this field. And he's like, no way, man, I'm not doing that. We don't have a permit. And I'm like, dude, I, I order you. I, he'll tell you, I told him this. I order you, because I was the practicum leader. I was older. He, he, I, uh, I was there longer than he was. I was the second year as the first year. So I was in charge of the practicum. And I go, I order you, Glenn, put the truck in the middle of this field, drive on the curb. I don't care. Drive it, Glenn. And then he wouldn't. And then I would lose my mind. I would lose my mind. (laughs) Glenn and I I would yell at each other so ungodly. You would think that we were about ready to throw down when that poor man would have got hurt. Well, praise the Lord. No, I'm just kidding. And I remember sitting down with Chancellor one day because uh, we had the 15-passenger van and we were going to the lake. And I said, Glenn, we're not telling any kids no. And Glenn's like, cool, man, I'm cool with that. Well, about 25 kids later, no joke, the record is 33 kids in a 15-passenger van. That's my record. Every inner city person has one. So 25 kids later, Glenn's like, listen, I am not putting another person. You don't have to drive it. I got to drive it. I'll get a ticket. And I'm like, I order you, Glenn. You better put these kids in this van right now. He's like, there's nowhere for them to sit there laying on each other. I'm like, I'm like, I don't care. And I'm like, I'm like, Shaquita, do you care? I don't care, Pastor. Just put me up in the van, baby. Put me up in the van. So I would throw her up in the van. She didn't even care. They were going to the lake. Dude, we got in such a bad argument. We had to go back to the school. Kids packed 25 deep in the van. Here I am on the couch. He's sitting right next to me. We're, like, in the principal's office. And, and like, Chancellor's like, what's wrong with you guys? He's all mad at us. Like, what's wrong with you guys? And I'm like, I'm trying to tell him to put more people in the van so we can win souls. And he's like, come on, Glenn, you can do it. Just do it for a little. And Glenn's like, Chancellor, we have 25 already. And then Chancellor looked at me, Joe, are you crazy? Are you nuts? What is wrong? Maybe 14, you know, 16. What is wrong with you? And I was like. Sorry, guys, you can't come, you know, but uh, it's their fault. But that, you know, then, by the way, we ended up going to camp with the kids from the hood, and Glenn got stabbed with a pencil. That's the one that he always likes to tell. He got stabbed with a pencil. So he's, like, wrestling Jermurkoi, and he's, like, on the floor <laughs> wrestling Jermurkoi, and all of a sudden, rah, I hear Glenn screaming. And I'm like, dear Lord, what happened to you? He said, his face is all red. He is about ready to punish Jamarcoy. He goes, dude, he stabbed me with a pen. 
a pencil. He stabbed me. And I'm like, listen, I think it's, no, he'll remember. I think his name was Boo Boo or something. Seriously, it was a name like Boo, Boo Boo or, oh, man, uh, what's, the, what's the little yellow bear's name? You, no, the little Winnie the Pooh, I think it was Pooh. Pooh Bear, I think his name was Pooh Bear. You know, they have the craziest names, you know what I'm saying? So Pooh Bear was getting all upset. And then Glenn was about ready to kill Pooh Bear, man. And I had to come in and I had to say, dude, it's okay. He had this big red mark. So when Chancellor said, like, we don't ask you to do anything crazy, no, we, we can't say that around here. We'll just say we can't ask you to do anything crazy that will cause you to hurt yourself or others, sin, you know, do those things. Look at the scripture. That was all just the introduction. Was that fun? Amen. That was just right off the cuff right there. Didn't know where that was coming. But here's the scripture. I think we can still read it and make it only a half hour late to our classes. Just kidding. We're gonna, I'm going to stop just like. 55 after, turn off the sound system, walk out the door. That's the rule, okay? That's the rule. No more trouble this year. Okay, so large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, so he sees large crowds. This is how Jesus dealt with large crowds. He didn't try to appease them. He dealt with them, excuse me, very serious. Luke 14, 25. Now 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now here's the illustration. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation, everybody say lay the foundation. Thank you. If he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone, somebody say everyone, everyone who sees it will ridicule him. Everybody say ridicule him, saying this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go off to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, everybody saying the same way. Thank you. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is neither fit for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has an ear, let him hear. And so my word here, just in the remaining few moments, after sharing some of those testimonies, I'm glad that encouraged you because you guys are making those stories here. And I know in 10 years from now, we hand Jared a mic. He'll be saying some hilarious stories of what they had to go through in the dorms and all the things that we asked them to do. And you guys understand it's been a great journey. And you'll see it as that even more in 10 years. But the most important thing I want you to see is Jesus spoke to large crowds this way. Why? Because he didn't want them to quit. He wanted them to understand that if you don't hate things in comparison to the love you have for God, things will pull you out of the ministry and out of your call of discipleship. could be your father. could be your mother. Your parents may look at you in a disappointing way. And if you allow that to get in the way of you serving God, it could actually cause you to backslide. Or it could cause you to leave ministry. For some, it may be their children. 
I've heard many people say, I will not go on the mission field. I will not do X, Y, and Z because now I have children. They're afraid. I just met a lady that came to our church yesterday. Her and her husband with three children are going to relocate to Indonesia to be missionaries, and they're going to go undercover as teachers, as cultural learners. They're going, that's how they have to go so they don't uh, get arrested or get put out of the country. She's willing to go with her children. And if it's not the children, it may be your brothers and sisters. You may have siblings that may put you down or forsake you or say, we're not going to be close to you if you follow Jesus. And yes, even your own life can become a distraction. As I was saying in the prayer time, we're living out the greatest years of our life. I still am not uh, beyond my my peak. Uh, There's so many things that I could do with my life. I could pursue business. I could, could pursue the wealth of this world. I could invest my life into vacations. I could invest more of my life just into the simple things around my house or my family. And the Bible says if I don't give up those things that I can't be his disciple doesn't mean nice things are wrong. It just means if I put my desires before his, I'm no longer his disciple. And then it says no one can, uh, uh, you know, anyone who can't carry the cross can't be a disciple. And where was the, what was the cross in that day? It was the form of execution. It would be like saying in our day, whoever's not willing to carry the lethal injection needle wherever they go is not willing to be a disciple. Whoever doesn't carry the electric chair is not willing to be my disciple. You knew if you carried a cross, it was your death sentence. You were no longer going to be able to say, but I think, well, what about this? And Well, I would do it this way. You know the moment you carry the cross, I dies. You die upon that cross. And it's a place of death. But the Bible says unless a wheat, a, a kernel of wheat dies, it cannot grow and bear more wheat. If you don't die, you're just going to remain alone. You're going to be separated from God for eternity. But if you'll die, Christ will bring resurrection life into you, and your life will touch many, many others. Now, here's the thing that if I had a whole nother hour to preach, this is what I would preach on. The building of a tower and going to war. Why is it we make decisions for ministry with less understanding and less commitment than people going to war and building a tower? Why is it somebody would haphazardly join SUM? I've, I've sat down with pastors, and they've said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get these students into the cohort, and they're not sure yet, you know, what should I say to them? And I remember talking to one uh, of those students, and I said, dude, if you're called, this is the only choice that you have. There is nothing better than this. Now, if somebody says to that, well, I'm going to do it because pastor wants me to do it, then you misunderstood the conversation. Or if somebody in this Bible college here at SUM in Chicago says, well, I did it, you know, just because Joe and Nancy wanted me to do it, then you miss the point. The only reason we let you into this school and recommended this school to you is because you said to us, you're called. When you said God spoke to you and said you were called, we told you the best step to take next. If we were living in other times, we would say, join Oxford. We would say, do this thing. But this is the time. This is the place. We know in this church of no greater way. Nothing against those who do it other ways. I'm just saying here, you ask me. I'm a living soul. As Paul said, I have the Holy Ghost too. Here is our opinion from God's perspective here. This is the best place. This is it. This is what we offer. How could you take that lightly? How could somebody in the midst of this then want to quit? Don't they understand they're quitting on God? 
don't they understand that they're going to be ridiculed? And for those who say, well, I found friends that don't remind me of me quitting, those aren't your real friends. If your real friends let you quit on God and let you feel good about it, they're not your real friends. Real friends wouldn't make you feel comfortable. Real friends would be like sandpaper against your skin saying, you quit on God. Stop what you're doing. And then I think about this man going to war. I mean, Jesus says if they go to war and count the cost, how much more should we? Do we not understand that preachers are responsible for the souls of men? That what we do in this sacred place here, the people that sit in these chairs, heaven and hell is at stake. Visitors come in and out of these doors, have no understanding of God. We're the only sight or revelation they have to see God or to hear God's word. The youth, the children that we meet, the ones that come and call this their youth group or their Sunday school room is the only understanding of Christianity they have. How dare we take this lightly? How dare we let them down and fail them? Not because of our imperfections. No, they'll understand we're not perfect. They can understand that we have bad days. Everybody gets that. But how could we quit on them? Who understands rejection? Who here says, rejection doesn't hurt me. I'm totally fine with rejection. How dare we reject the people of God and quit? When I think about SUM students quitting their ministries, they're quitting the people they were ministering to. They are causing rejection to be upon those people's lives. The people who quit ministry are quitting on the ones that God placed into their life as a treasure. People in ministry are not our burdens. They may have burdens, but the people are not our burdens. The people are our treasures. You're not my burden. Some of you, no, I'm kidding. You're not my burden. You may have burdens. You may burden me with your troubles, which is a good thing. I'm here to help. But never think of yourself as a burden to me. You're the reason why I'm here. Ministry is a joy to me. Does it always feel like it? No. But those are the days I have to go back and repent and ask the Lord to change my heart. And then we see here that when salt loses its saltiness, it's no good. And I think about this salt that we uh, put on the ground during the winter seasons here. You would never think about putting that on your food. There's no you know, real tastiness to it. It's dull. It's good for nothing. It can't even really fertilize. It doesn't have the same components if it's already been washed off it's already been used it's now just pretty much like a rock it's worthless why does the bible teach us this that when we lose our salt we're pretty much worthless i mean look at it salt is good but if it loses its saltiness how can it be salted again it is fit for neither soil nor for manure it's just thrown out you see here's the thing that i i, I wish that i could talk to every person that has quit it's a sad thing, but God said it. When you quit on him, he throws you out. You say, well, pastor, what, what about the prodigal son? What about, what about how God wants? Yeah, that's right. You're out the house. You're in the manure pile. You're out there. God will take you when you come back. But when you quit on him, don't you think that it doesn't bother him? It does. And when you quit on him, God says you're not good for anything now. 
Well, well, hold on. I'm going to go be a great mom. Well, I'm going to go be a great dad. Well, that's good. I'm glad you're not murdering people and being a social nuisance to us. But in the kingdom of God, you're like salt that's lost its saltiness, worthless to what God is doing. That's what the Bible says. Well, pastor, I'm still going to help out in the youth group. Well, I'm going to go join this church. I'm going to sing in the choir. No, to God it is worthless. Yeah, yeah. Peter, Peter probably would have been a good fisherman. He probably would have put a little fish on his boat, and every now and then he would have talked about, you know, his relationship with the Messiah. But hold on. There was still Pentecost. There was still the preaching to be done. There was still Cornelius' house. What if Peter would have said that day, no, Jesus, I'm going to love you, but I'll just stay here in the boat. He would have been worthless to the New Testament church. Would you stand on your feet, please? He who has ears, let him hear. Come on, somebody. Do you have ears? Are you hearing it today? Live for God. Don't quit. Don't get your butt kicked by the devil because you didn't count the cost. Count the cost, my friends. Don't quit your tower and become a mocking, laughing stock. And I have to go back to the youth group or to your life group and say, oh, yeah, old old Bobby fumble farted and dropped the ball. Now we have to change ministry leaders. Don't do that and cause ridicule to the body of Christ. And don't think you can walk away from ministry and have it just be in God's eyes. Oh, you're still salty. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, you're still, oh, yeah, you love me. Oh, you're salty. No, when you walk away from God, hear that in your mind. You're not even fit for the manure pile. And I've met pastors that say, well, I'm a businessman for the Lord now, worthless. Well, I help out in the funding school. Yeah, wh- where are you, Brother Jeremy? Where are you, uh, you know, Brother Nick, all these guys I went to school with? Well, you know, sometimes I help out. Worthless. God called you to be his disciple and to go out and make disciples. You might say, well, how does he look at it like that? The Bible says there are people on the day of judgment where what they have built will be burned by fire and nothing will remain. Well, I, I did this. God, I built. No, he said, no, if you build with wood, if you build with hay, and if you build with stubble. <laughs> sure, he'll accept you as the Sunday school worker. She'll, he'll, he'll accept you as the Christian businessman or whatever else you want to do. Unless, sure, you can do it. But when you get to heaven and those works are stacked up and God says, no, you didn't do it out the right heart. You did this with the Jonah heart. You didn't do this to be salty. You just did this as your way out. <laughs> it's gone. Is heaven still yours? Heaven is still I'm not saying they're not saved. Don't quote me as saying they're not saved. He said, but they'll have all of their works burned up. Burned up. <laughs> there it was. Just like me if I do it in the flesh for vainglory. The Bible says, <laughs> If Billy Graham did it for Billy Graham and not Jesus, all of Billy Graham's work stacked here as high as to heaven will be tested by fire and be blown away like dust. Some grandma who won her children to the Lord and helped grandchildren learn Bible school stories will come and receive treasures forevermore. Are you listening? The Bible says your works are going to be judged. Don't quit on Jesus and say this is going to be acceptable to him. You don't get to choose what's acceptable to him. He planned out your purpose. He placed you in a church. He planned a Bible college for you, and he's given you a calling. Be faithful to that. Be faithful to that. Be under authority. Serve the leadership. And a good thing about this church, and let me just share this with you, because when we preach like this, many people accuse us, and they say, well, that's easy for Joe to say. You know, that's easy. Uh, Okay, I get it now. Everybody's got to serve Joe. No, here's the thing. You know the difference between me and those bozos who say that? My pastor's phone number is on Facebook. You can call him if you want. You see, the difference is I still serve. 
the body of Christ. I still serve Brother Anthony and Brother George. I still serve people other than me. I do things that do that benefit others than just me. Going to New Orleans doesn't benefit us. We go down to serve and be a benefit to them. Doing the things that Nancy and I do for SUM don't benefit us. We're not on staff like Dave Wallace and these men, but we still today, right after I leave here, stopping at Faith World, stopping at City Lights. You know why? Because I serve my pastor in the vision God has given them. Because it's not a man vision, it is God. And when we get to heaven, God will clarify some of that crazy stuff. Amen? God will be like, look, man, you had to get that poison knife for this reason, for this reason. <laughs> and now just be like, okay, Jesus, I get it now, grin. You know what I'm saying? Because Jesus says all things work together for good. Just to see you smile is worth getting poison ivy. Seriously, come on, somebody. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your people. Lord, help us to count the cost. Lord, this year, let us not quit. Let my wife and I pray for us first. My wife and I, God, help us to choose you above ourselves, above our marriage, above our children, and our siblings. Lord, we choose today to follow you no matter what the cost is. We carry the cross with us to crucify any desire, any tendency that would be outside of your perfect will for our lives. Help us to count the cost, God, for everything we do in the future that we wouldn't start things that we don't finish. Now, I've prayed that for my wife and I. Would you pray that for yourself today, husbands and wives? Speak it over your family today. God, I choose you. I choose you, Lord. God, it's about you. It's not about a building. It's not about serving men. It's not about practicums. It's not about Christian service. Today, God, we serve you. We love you. We love you. We love you. We honor you. In the name of Jesus. And would you all look up at me just for a moment, please? I want to share this because I said this to Nancy. After we did our financial time and, and, you know, we just had a little, you know, time of struggle with the finances and God was just testing our heart. And it's always hard when you're dealing with stuff like that. And I had to resolve in my heart, man, we lose this building. We're still, we're going to keep going. Amen. The church has grown more than it ever has before. I cannot get discouraged because the economy cannot allow certain people to give. You know, I mean, you got tons of you guys working hard, and you're just not making what you used to. We have unemployed people, and it's like, man, okay, I, if I can't pay the 8000 here, we got to go somewhere else. I had to resolve that in my heart. But thankfully, we've, we've made it, and we're going to keep making it by faith. Amen? But I had to resolve, even if we don't, what do we do? Well, the worst thing is we, we you know, just can't pay it. We go into a foreclosure on the lease, probably a little bit of a lawsuit. That's bad, not good. But at the end of the day, we still go to another building. We have church, and I was, you know, and I was, uh, you know, saying to Nancy, you know, what, a, what a, uh, you know, like a, a thing for the enemies of this church to hear. Oh man, well, look, they had to close down that church, you know, because we all left. You know, we all left. I mean, you know, that church is not good anymore. You know, you know, that's a sign from God. I mean, or these other people have never come. Well, you see, I told you. See, I told you from when he was a youth pastor. You see, you see, God was never going to bless that place. You see, just one little stumble, one little readjustment. That's why I said life is, life is like that. That connect the dots. Sometimes you got to. If I have to go back, I said to Nancy, I said, if I have to go back to go forward again, I'll do it. If I have to go to a smaller apartment again to go forward, if we have to go to a smaller building, whatever we have to do to keep going forward, because church to us has always been disciples. So I hope that if that would ever happen, you guys would say, Pastor, we're with you. If that is what it is, let's go. Because, by the way, it wasn't a decision just based on me. All the leadership believed that this was a place for God. 
And I believe you guys were there, amen? Some of you were there. We all said, okay, God's going to make the bills. And like I said, even if a bad day came, I would still stick with it. But here's the thing. After, uh, you know, that last week, we did everything that we could do. I could just sense in my heart, even though we hadn't raised anywhere close to what we needed to come up with, I just sensed that so many people gave all that they could. Like I just, you know what I'm saying, as a pastor, I just felt it like, dude, these people gave everything they could. I, I, there's, there was, there, if there was anything else they could have given, they would have given it. There's just literally no other way they could have given more. And then I said to Nancy, and I said, we have the most valuable thing in ministry that buildings don't give you, that large ministries, one thing that people don't have, and they have all those things, and it's the most valuable thing in the entire economy of ministry. The mo- if you're going to get this one thing in ministry, it's the most important thing out of everything else, trust trust. And I said, and I looked at him, I said, it's the easiest thing to lose. The easiest thing to lose. That's why even I just shared for you what I did, because I'm sharing with you. That's how hard it is. That's how tough it is. That's what it takes to run a church like this. It takes thousands, $21,000 probably to run this ministry now. And we came into here, this ministry probably only bringing in four or 5000 6000 on a good month. Yeah, so if I had to take a step back and be at a $15,000 budget, and some people shame me. Hey, at least I got out the boat, Joker. You stayed in the boat and did jack diddly. Amen. How many other church planners you know stepped out the boat and said, we'll take a city on for Jesus and adopt 200 churches and give all of that? Because you know what? We gave almost 20,000 to missions last year. And the first thing in my mind is, oh, you could have taken that mission money and given it back to the church. But I'd rather dream big for God and get a little wet than be in the boat like a sucker. Amen. Come and look at your neighbor and say, he ain't no sucker. So I say that to say this, guys. Here's the thing in closing. The greatest thing you can have in this Bible college is trust. For us to trust you and to say among the brothers, among the leaders, this one is trusted. This one is notable. This one is someone we can put our trust in. But it's the easiest thing to lose. Bad attitudes, walking away from ministry, talking about things behind the back, doing things half-hearted is a way that we'll begin to say, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I trust them. They're like a bad leg or a a hurt tooth in times of reliability. Like the Bible says, don't trust in an unfaithful witness. Amen. So keep the trust here. Be in the inner circle of trust. Amen. We trust you. When we give you a set of keys, we trust you. When we give you a ministry, we trust you. When we give you the ability to drive our precious children and our young people to and from church, we trust you. When we let you lead Bible studies in our name, in the name of this church, we trust you. Don't take advantage of that trust. Live up to the level of that trust. Amen? And no one here is trying to say in a bad way, prove it like, oh, well, we don't love you. Prove it. You know, No, we're saying to every one of you, as I'm saying to you, I will prove it. I will be a good pastor. And I'm saying to you, will you be a good woman of God, a worship leader? Will you be faithful to the Wednesday nights? Will you be there on time? Come early, stay late, have a good word. Not give a last-minute thing, but give the best you can give. Will you cover us in Wicker Park? Will you learn to serve and to show the example? You know, will you love the youth ministry? Will you be an administrator that hears some things that other people don't hear, but keep confidence and don't backbite about us? Will you love children? Will you love evangelism? Will you love helping out and serving? Will you love being just a humble dude that learns all of the back-behind-the-scenes of ministry? Will you love the youth that we're trusting you with? 
Because if we do, take a building away, we're still here. Amen? Take a building away, we're still here. Take things away from us, we're still here. And that's stuff that other people can never get. You can't go to a store and buy, buy trust. You can't go to a store and buy these things. I just had a, a, this is like so beyond, I know I've sinned, God forgive me. But since I'm already here and I have to ask for forgiveness, here it is. In our times of greatest weakness is when God is made strong. Remember that. That in your times of weakness, God is made strong. And it's in these times that I get to be made strong. And so if the, if the thing that I had to do was close down a building or do those different things, I would rather be strong in Christ and everybody think I'm weak than to try to be strong in the flesh and to be nothing in the eyes of God. I would rather have you come to us and say, Pastor, I'm not who you think I am. Dude, I'm struggling with my practicum. I don't even like youth ministry. I hate these kids. I don't even want to do this. I would rather have you come in your weakness than for you to put on that fake mask. I love it. And then you quit like a yellow belly sissy. That's good for nothing. Amen. That's God's way of calling you a fool because the Bible says that's foolish. And what does Mr. T do with the fools? Okay, now this is it. I make a promise and a covenant before my wife and God Almighty. Nothing past 1255 next time, okay? Father, forgive me. Bless us as we go about our day. In Jesus' name, amen.